is week one. Let me ask, why do, why do Advent? Why do the seasons? Why do the Christian year? The reason we do it is because we're retelling the living story of the living God. A story that's been entrusted to the church, that ultimately this life and this world has purpose and meaning, that God has entered our human history, and a voice has, uh, as we say, cried out in the wilderness, prepare a way for the Lord, comfort my people, tell them their sins are washed away, light has come. Um, there's lots of stories that you listen to that indicate things in our life. You could, you could be caught up in sort of the consumerist capitalist story in our culture of sort of just getting ahead by whatever means necessary, uh, using other people for their expense so that you gain something. That's a story, that's a narrative that you could listen to in the culture. Um, there's also the story of of uh, meaninglessness, of nihilism, that uh, nothing ultimately has any meaning at all. And so let's just pursue whatever will make us happy in the moment um, and hope the best, uh, but nothing in the end really matters. That's another story uh, that our, our culture often puts out there and uh, encourages us to believe. Another story you often hear is the uh, as long as you're happy story. As long as you're happy. Just pursue happiness. That's okay. As long as you feel happy. Uh, you could hurt someone along the way, but as long as you feel happy, it's kind of justified. It's a dangerous story as well. We tell this story, this gospel story, because we proclaim the life-changing truth that God has invaded human history. He's come in his great love. He's emptied himself. He gives himself so that we can have life and hope. And as John 3.16 puts it, that familiar passage that so many of us know, God so loved the world, not God really loves the world, though that's true. It's written, in this way, God loves the world. God so loves the world that in this way, he will give himself, he'll give the Son, and come and make his dwelling with us, that we can all have eternal life for all who repent and believe. This is the story, the true story, that's entrusted to the church that shapes us, and it's so crucial that we remember it and retell it I mean, every, every year, you celebrate your birthday, don't you? Maybe you don't. <laughs> I remember when I turned 10, it was kind of like my last kid's party. That sounds really depressing now that they say it. Um, but you still recognize the day. And then when, when you get married, you kind of recognize the anniversary, right? There's something in retelling, reminding ourselves about the significant moments in our lives, right? Um, the same thing happens each year when we, when we come to Advent, when we come to Easter, whatever it might be, we're remembering and retelling, these are the significant moments that shape my life and shape the life of our world. Not just me personally, but actually change the world around us. As the old, uh, the old hymn, old chorus goes, the old, old story, right? We're retelling the old, old story. Steve Bell was here uh, last two weeks ago. And he had his little book. He read it from his little Advent book. And I want to read this. This is He's right on about this. This is a little quote regarding Advent. Before we jump into Isaiah and Matthew, he says this. The church tells and retells her sacred stories year after year, much like as a mother to her children who ask for the same stories night after night. Has that ever been you? Oh, my. Let me tell you. 
I've read some bedtime stories over and over. In fact, there's some I can just recite on the top of my head right now. The sun has set up on the tub. Take a bath in one big tub, soap all over, scrub, scrub, scrub. Bring the towels on the wall, dry pajamas, big and small. Some on top and some beneath, they brush, they brush, they brush their teeth. And when the moon is on the rise, we all go up to exercise. And then Rowan stops and tells me who each animal is. This is Grandma, this is Grandpa, that's Mommy, that's Daddy. I usually get to be the bear, so I feel pretty good about that. The moon is high and the sea is deep. They rock and rock and rock to sleep. And then hopefully... That's the plan, anyway. Much like children who ask for the same stories night after night, we retell these stories. And like any good child's tale, they continue to reward well into adulthood. I think that's so good. Each time we rehearse and reharrow these stories, we unearth something new, precisely because there's so much more to receive, but also because our capacity to receive has deepened. Isn't that true? That over time in your life, as you come back to the true stories, the simple things, you realize I've changed and I'm ready to receive in a new way. We Christians are many things, but for sure we are keepers of the story, capital T, capital S. And so we're retelling this Advent season. We're reliving the story of Jesus coming. We celebrate that he's already come. He's already arrived in time and history, but we realize again, of course, that Jesus he is always arriving. He's always standing at the door and knocking. He's always inviting you to open yourself to him in a new way, in a fresh way. Advent's about removing the clutter in our lives so we can invite him to come again. But also, in Advent, we anticipate his return, as the Matthew passage reminds us, right? That he will come again for him. And so we prepare our hearts to receive. We attend to that longing for God to come and set our world right. We look back at that ancient hope that Israel had and how Jesus fulfills those promises and how we as the church look forward to him coming again. In many ways, and Steve refers to this in his own book, and it's, it's a thought that's not new to him, that's been passed on for many, many years, but Advent is like the season of preparing for a child. If you have children, or you in a family that's anticipating having children, you know what that's like. In the season of waiting, you don't just sort of sit around. There's things to do. You prepare the nursery, perhaps, you pick a name, perhaps, or don't. Spur of the moment, first thing that comes to your mind when the child emerges. That's probably not a good method, but anyway. Uh, there's things to do. There's ways to prepare for the coming of the child. In the same way in Advent, we prepare our hearts again to welcome Jesus. Lord, would you come and do your work in my life? Remove that which shouldn't be. Come afresh, Lord. I open myself to you. It's a holy season to reconnect again with that longing we have for God to come and set things right. So Isaiah and Matthew will be our guides this Advent. Um, so turn with me, if you have Isaiah uh, open, turn with me back to Isaiah. We're going to start there. And I just have a few thoughts from each of these three passages and the way they tie together. Before, uh, before Keith read, I asked, can you hear the call in each of these passages? And the call in Isaiah is the call to come, let us go up the mountain. You get a call in Romans to put off darkness and put on Jesus, to put on light. And the call in Matthew, to stay awake. And all of those three calls have a similar theme. 
of coming and pressing into Jesus. Come to the mountain. Come, put off, put off darkness. Come to light. And stay away. They're all about choosing a life with God and putting away that which separates us from Him. Isaiah, if you're not familiar, it's a it's a prophetic book. It's full of of message of from God to the people of His judgment against their sin. It's a serious sin that God has allowed to go on, and He's been very very patient with them. Don't start thinking God's sort of you know, ready to get at them as soon as they do something wrong. He's let things, allow them lots of time to repent and come around on this. Uh, finally says, no, no, there's going to be judgment for what you've done. He allows them to be exiled to Babylon. And so Isaiah talks about that judgment, why it's happened for future readers. This is why God allowed this to be. But it's also a book full of hope that God has not abandoned us. He's not left us on our own. He will personally return. There's this shocking news. God himself is going to come back. He's going to set things right. He's going to overthrow Babylon. He will ultimately win the victory. He'll release us from captivity, which is huge. But he's coming back personally to be the king. And so in Isaiah 2, verses 1 to 5, we get this glorious vision of the future. Let me read to, read, uh, read to you again just a few of these verses. Verse 2 says, It shall come to pass in the latter days, the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains, shall be lifted up above the hills, and all the nations shall flow to it. And I think again, the Temple Mount of Zion in Jerusalem, you always go up to the temple. The temple's up on a hill. So when you're going up to the temple, you always go up to the temple. Um, that's why often in the Psalms, you get the Psalms of Ascent, let's go up to the house of the Lord, right? Because you actually physically go up the hill. But here, and, and then think again too, um, as they're calling, as though this mountain is going to be raised higher than the others, uh, you'll often read the Old Testament, or anywhere really, the idol worship often happens on hills, right? So they often will talk about tearing down the places of idol worship from the high places, and so here there's a reference. What you're getting here is now this hill, this mountain will be greater than all the rest. The worship of God is going to be greater than all the worship, all these false idols. And now not just Israel is coming, but who is coming? Into verse 2, all the nations will flow to it. There's this great hope. A friend asked me this week, how come Jesus seems focused on Israel? And then as soon as after the resurrection happens, it goes up to the whole world. Because there's always this... There's always this theme in the Bible as you trace the story is that God chooses this family, Israel, this people, Abraham and his descendants, through whom he will bring the blessing to the nations. It's never just for Israel. It's always meant to go out and include all the nations. And that's why in the New Testament you get the call of Israel being, being summoned back to him through Jesus and the apostles. You've got the new 12 disciples, which is a call back to the 12 tribes. And then as soon as the resurrection happens, uh, they start to go out from Jerusalem, right? They're forced out because of persecution, but then the, sh- the story shifts, and who's it become all about? Paul. Why? Because Paul is fulfilling the call back from Genesis 12 and 17 to bring the message of God's goodness and salvation to the nations. And so you get the missionary journeys right off the bat because it's fulfilling this call way back here and back here in Isaiah. You can hear the same theme, right? All the nations will flow to it. All the nations are being welcomed back into God's care, into his kingdom. Not just Israel, but everybody. And then you hear, many people shall come and say, and think again, Pentecost Sunday, right? Uh, Acts 2. What happens? All the, all the known world is present and 
they hear the gospel proclaimed in their language. Why? Because the message is going on, right? So it's the theme here, right? Three. All the people shall come and say, and here's the great line, verse 3, Isaiah 2, 3. Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, the house of the God of Jacob. Why do we go? That he may teach us his ways, that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go the law, the instruction of the Lord, right? Out will come this, this way of life, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. The call here is let's go up and actually learn how to live. Let's go and let God inform the way we are called to live our lives. And inherent in that call is, is a decision, right? Come, let's go up to the mountain, or don't. Like you have you, you have a choice to make. Go up with these people as they go to hear from God and learn how to live their lives, or choose not to. Right? That call is there, very similar to what Paul's doing in Romans, right? You can put off this darkness and all he kind of lists a few ways of just living in sin and idolatry, or choose Jesus. Same call here. Come up the mountain or don't. That's up to you. God will let you make that choice. Isaiah recognizes we need to learn to walk in God's paths. There's a need for us to have a recalibration of our hearts. Or if you think of a compass, it's like it's gotten off track. You can't find the true north anymore. And here he's saying, let's go up to the mountain and get our hearts set and focused on God again. There's this great this great theme here of we all have the chance to return. And remember, this is written to a people who are lost in their idolatry. It's been a huge mess. And yet, even to these ones, these enemies of God, Isaiah is saying, no, the invitation even goes out to you, the worst of sinners. And if you're here this morning and you think, how on earth could God love me? How on earth could I ever be forgiven for stuff in my life? I feel that sense of guilt and shame for stuff I've done. This is called, this call comes out to you as well. You come, come, come. You're welcomed into the house of the Lord. There's nothing you've done that excludes you here. You're welcome too. Come on up the mountain. Let's learn how to live. And look what happens as the nations come. We get in verse 4, God is, is deciding, he's judging between the nations, he's deciding the disputes between the people. It's the king's job, right? The king does this, and yet Solomon is deciding stuff like this. So here God is doing it, and then this beautiful, beautiful image that's, that's endured throughout the centuries. They'll beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. It's this powerful image. Rather than learning war, the weapons of war are being beaten into what? The instruments of agriculture. Right? Into plowshares, into pruning hooks. Uh, what do you do with that stuff? You cultivate fields, orchards, right? The, the emphasis is this. Rather than, rather than having the tools of death, we're exchanging them for tools and instruments that cultivate life and shalom. The restoration of God that Isaiah points to is this, that we would trade in the instruments that breed death in our culture for instruments that breed life. And how much more in our own hearts we talk about the tongue as a weapon, right? Lord, when have I used my words to bring death when you call me to bring life and shalom with my words and my actions? Oh, okay. And that hits home. 
Do I go around bringing death or do I go around bringing life? What do, who are people pointed to when they come across me? Do they get pointed to something that is, doesn't look like Jesus? Or do they get pointed to God because of the life of the shalom that they see him doing in me? Wow. The call here is to exchange our old habits, our old thought lives, all those things that bring death and destruction and allow God to change that which is in our hand to extend shalom and grace and life to the world. I think it's just a, it's an amazing image. And the call goes out, let's walk in the light of the Lord. Let's go up the mountain, house of Jacob. Let's walk in the light of the Lord. Let's go this way, not another way. This whole chunk here, this beautiful, it's a beautiful passage, verses one to five, is this vision of God setting the world to right. And as Christians, we believe this has begun with Jesus and his work at the cross. Because of Jesus, we can begin to go up the mountain to learn how to live as God would call us to. We can begin to put aside that which brings death, the sin, the destruction that's in our hearts, and choose instead to be people who bring life and shalom and grace to our world. And that invitation goes out to all of us. Where will you walk? In which way will you walk? You have that choice. So it's already begun in Jesus, but we also look forward to its ultimate fulfillment, don't we? Because we are in a world where not all nations come to God. Not all nations are thriving and wanting to rejoice in the light of the Lord, right? There's still intense brokenness. There's still war. There's still death and disease. And so not we can say, Lord, thank you that you have begun this, but we look forward to when you will return again and set things to right. So we look both ways, but to the past and say, thank you that it's begun. Thank you that I can go up the mountain. Thank you, Lord, that you can teach me how to live. Thank you for the life that comes. Thank you for the, the family of God that is truly multinational as the nations come in. That I have brothers and sisters all over the world who I've never met, right? At the same time, Lord, we need this to come in fullness. And so we look forward to your return. This series that we're doing is called The King is Coming. And as I've read through this, it's like a new day. Each of these passages talks about light and day, the light of the Lord. And so this sermon, I felt, this is about the king of the new day. We're waiting for him to come and renew and restore us. And that's what Romans also is all about. So you've got the Isaiah passage. Flip back to Romans 13. 13, 11, and 14. I don't know the page number off the top of my head. Sorry about that. Keith, Keith knows it. 940 something. 46. 8, whatever. There it is. Thank you. Romans 13, 11, and 14. Listen to what Paul says in light of all that call from Isaiah. Listen to Paul now. You, besides this, you know the time. The hour has come for you to wake from sleep. Right? Come, let us walk in the light of the Lord, says Isaiah. And now Paul's saying, wake up from sleep. Time to wake up. Salvation's nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. And so because of that, let's cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. And then verse 8 goes through a little bit of this. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, right? Come, let us walk in the light of the Lord, said Isaiah. Now Paul's echoing it. 
Verse 14, but put on who? The Lord Jesus Christ. Make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. So Isaiah calls us to come and walk. Paul's calling us to wake from sleep. It's kind of a similar sort of metaphor. But Paul's saying, listen, the time has come now. Now that Christ has come, salvation is here. The night has passed. The day has come. Let's live it out. Put aside that which would keep you in darkness. And he's got his little list there. But of course, we can think of all sorts of things that keep us from walking in the light of the Lord. And he calls us to put on the armor of life. So just as Isaiah is saying, let's learn from God and walk in his ways. Let's beat the swords in our hands into plowshares. Let's, let's extend the life and the grace of God. Paul's saying the same thing. Put off works of darkness and be people who extend the life and grace of Jesus by putting on Christ. He shows us how to live. You want to know the way to walk? Walk with Jesus. Choose light. And we do all of this, says Matthew, in anticipation of his return. Keep away, says Matthew, the Lord's return. And you must be ready, says Jesus. The Son of Man is coming. Um, this passage, you read it in context. Did you notice? I don't have it in front of me. It talks about the ones who are swept away and the ones who stay. The swept away ones are the ones in trouble, not the ones who stay. This gets really twisted around by certain people. How do I say this? Um, if you've read this and thought, oh, it's the ones that are left behind that are in trouble, that's not, no, that's not what this is about. The ones that are left behind are the ones that are good, they're in happy shape. It's the ones that got whisked off in a hurry eruption. So you get whisked off when the army comes and takes you away, right? That's the image. You got taken by a foreign, foreign nation, came and swept you away. So getting swept away is bad. This is not an, this is not about the rapture. Just in case you were wondering. Um, it's about it's about be aware of persecution and tribulation that comes and stay awake and know that Jesus is coming. He's got you in the midst of that, but don't fall asleep and think that you're not going to go through difficulties in life. That's kind of the gist of it. Keep awake. The Lord's returning. You must be ready, says Jesus. The Son of Man is coming. So walk in the light of the Lord. Wake from sleep. Put on Jesus. This is a good indication of someone who's seeking to pursue a life with God. And if you are in a place in your life where you're like, I just, I don't have a lot of friends. I need some friends. Like, look for people who are pursuing this. Like, find people in your life. Surround yourself with people who who are saying, I want to walk in the light of the Lord. I'm, learn- I'm not perfect, but I'm learning to put off. I was going to say the crap in my life. Is that what I say? <laughs> put off the stuff in your life. That's no good. <laughs> There's worse things we can say, so I won't say that. The, put, off the, the, put off the sin in your life and choose Jesus and learn to walk in that. Don't say you're doing it perfectly, but if you're looking for good friends in your life, find those people. Find the people who will encourage you to follow Jesus. Find the people who are learning to take that which is so easy to spread as death, the words we say, the actions we take against people, the people that are saying, I'm going to choose to spread life and God's grace and, and joy in my actions and my words to others. When you do that, you're starting to live out Isaiah 2 here and now. Find those people, the people that actually want to bring about God's life and, and and enjoy 
hate the world. Find those ones. Be with those people. Those are good people. So the call here, wake up. Live, walk in the light of the Lord. There's lots of talk right now, um, just before we head to the, to the table, and I'm going to wrap this up with a few questions right away, but I wanted to mention this. Um, there's lots of talk on social media about uh, Kanye West coming, becoming a Christian, coming to the Lord. You may and or may not have heard this. Kanye's rapper? I don't know. I know nothing about this. Anyway. The point is, lots of people have lots of opinions about a famous person coming to Jesus and changing, or not. Like, is it all fake, right? Is it, all, is it true? Is it authentic? Is it not authentic? And I saw this one video of this guy who basically said, like, check your heart. Like, who cares? What business is it of yours, whether it's authentic or not? That's between Kanye and Jesus, you know? And then he said, you know, this is actually what the gospel's supposed to do. Like, if, you be- if you're a Christian, you believe in Christianity, this is what actually happens. People who have, like, crazy lives that are not good actually meet Jesus and start to change. Like, this is actually what's supposed to happen. Why are you so surprised? So check your heart, he said. Check your heart, man. I watched, anyway, I watched a video of, um, James Corden does this, these carpool karaoke videos, which are hilarious, where he picks up people and sings songs with them. Anyway, he goes with Kanye on his private jet with his whole choir. And it's really quite fun. So the choir's amazing, right? Anyway, James Corden asks Kanye, he says, what do you say to people that say this isn't true, that you're just putting this on? And I'm going to butcher it. Okay, I can't, I can't remember exactly what he said. I'm probably going to butcher it. But Kanye is something to this effect. He said, when you're sleeping, do you believe that you're actually sleeping? And James goes, yeah. And he said, when you're awake, do you believe that you're actually awake? And that sleeping and the awaking are two different things. You can be asleep or you can be awake. James goes, yeah. He goes, this is the awakening. I was asleep. Now I'm awake. So say what you think about Kanye. I don't personally have much of an opinion of it, but I'm perfectly open to seeing someone be changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'm reminded, I'm so reminded of this call from Isaiah, Romans, and Matthew. Wake up. Stay awake. Come to the light of God. Put off darkness, right? Once you are sleeping, now you're awake. And God invites us to that change. It's the call for us as Christians, especially as we come to Advent, to realize Jesus is calling us to wake up to a new day. Put away our sin. To beat down our swords. What's the sword in your hand that you're capable of wielding? Should it really be a sword? Or can you change it into something that brings life? How do you treat your kids? Are your words more like swords? Or are they more like pruning those? Pruning those still kind of hurt. You've got to deal with your trees. Cut off some crap. Oh, I said it again. <laughs> the call's there, right? Turn from sin. Do this. Let's go up the mountain. As we head into Advent, I've got just a couple questions for us to ponder, then we're going to come to the table. From Isaiah, where is God calling you to walk in his light? Are there things that you're participating in in your life that you need to put aside? Maybe just maybe they're not even particularly sinful, but they're just really distracting. Because there's things that you need to just set aside, even for this season of Advent, and say, Lord, I need to give you this space. I need to get off my phone a little more and just take time to be with you. That's me. Like, I can... It's so easy to just get distracted by stuff once the kids are in bed. 
Lord, maybe I need to make space for you. Where's God calling you to walk in the light? From Romans, where can you put on Christ? Where are you actually, this is more the kind of call, where are you participating in things that are sinful? And God's calling you to lay those down and repent and come to him. Don't need to make a big deal about it. Put it down. Come to Jesus. Let him forgive you. And from Matthew, how are we being called to keep awake as we look to Jesus' return? What does it mean to keep awake? Does it mean holding a newspaper in one hand, the book of Revelation in the other hand, and getting anxious about things that seem to be fulfilling other things? And like, then what? What's the point of that? I don't know. Getting antsy about Jesus coming? We already knew Jesus was coming. What was the point of that? Now you're just spending a lot of time distracted with weird uh, prophetic stuff. That's me. Now I've offended people. <laughs> Jesus already said he's coming. We don't know the day or the hour. And neither will you. So don't worry about it. Live for him. Don't worry about it. Live for him. Live for him. Will you go through tribulation? Probably. Yeah, absolutely. You tell him. You know? Tell the people who've been persecuted when Revelation was written that they weren't going through tribulation. Right? Tell them as they're being crucified. You'll be okay. No, no, no. We may go through some tough stuff, folks. But God's got us. We keep awake and we look forward to his return. Not because we can then don't have to worry about our own stuff. God's just going to whisk me away. But because we look forward to him coming. Lord, may I be found right with you when you come. That I have pursued you to the best of my ability. That's the call for us, folks. That's the grace for us today. Not not. God hasn't given up on you. He calls you to come, to awaken, to choose life, choose to walk in Him. Um, as we head into this season, let's let's invite Him to come and make space in our hearts to welcome Him. Eh? Let's pray, and we're going to come to the table. Lord, I thank you for your light and for your love, for your compassion for us. And Jesus, as we think about these things, as we celebrate the season of Advent, as we anticipate your coming, as we look backward, Lord, to the ways you have come, the cross and the resurrection, as we look ahead to when you will come again, Lord, we find ourselves between two Advents, your first and your second. And you call us from Isaiah and Romans and Matthew to walk in the light of the Lord, to choose to walk for Jesus, to choose you today. Lord, we've all got stuff going on in our lives. And yet all of us can heed this call to put away darkness and to choose light. That doesn't mean we don't have doubts. It doesn't mean we don't have uh, hardships or issues along the way, but we choose to point our hearts towards you. We choose to walk up the mountain and to face life together with you instead of trying to face it on our own. Lord, would you convict us of the areas in our lives where we need to just repent and put away some of these sinful activities and actions and behaviors. Lord, we're not perfect. But we thank you that you invite us to come and to be forgiven. And Lord, as we come to this table, would this be a place of receiving a fresh remembering, Lord, your life and your death and your resurrection that makes us clean and makes us clean. We ask this in your name. Amen. Amen. I'm going to invite the Communion ushers to come. Uh, Keith, you can pull the table up. If you're new or visiting, uh, say this each time you.